But tonight we're going to be talking about confess. Confess is tough. I had a lot of moments growing up about confession. Why? Because I was always in trouble. I was always getting caught. And I was always interrogated. So for me, confession is a huge obstacle to get over. Sitting down at the kitchen table with my mom grilling me. Laying it out. And me finding any way possible to get out of the situation. And it didn't matter what lie I had to tell. How evasive I had to be. How deceptive I had to be. Just get me out of trouble. And that was my mindset growing up. And so now part of the issue is in my own life, my wife asked me a question and I go, hey, flashback right to that dinner table. And all of a sudden I start to be evasive and she's like, why are you being evasive? Uh, I don't know, because I feel like there's a spotlight on me and I'm in trouble. So those are my issues. But there may be a scene in a movie, which is one of my favorite movies, Some of you may have a flashback, and I show this movie every time I teach this lesson, because I have to. But uh, watch this scene and uh, see what happens. Hey, kid, I want you to spill your guts to tell us everything. (laughs) Everything. 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 Okay, I'll talk. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max until pan. I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs, and I blamed it on the dog. But the worst thing I ever done, I mixed up all his fake puke at home, and then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then... Then I made a noise like this. And then I dumped it over the side. Oh, and all the people in the audience, then, then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life. Mom, they're going to like this kid, Mom. <laughs> Oh, man. Like, if that doesn't flash back for you to the 80s, I don't know what else will, but not like a good Goonies movie. But uh, I love that story. And reality is where we're at in our steps right now is we've gone steps one, two, three, and four, right? So we realize we're powerless. We step out of denial. We admit that there is uh, something out there that's greater than ourselves, and that thing, that, that thing can restore us to sanity. And then we've surrendered our life and our will over the care of God. Step four, we've made a fearless and moral inventory. And then now we're on step five. We've made this pile of inventory. If you've gone through this process and you have three sheets of paper or less, you didn't do enough. Do more. Do more work. This is a huge thing. This is a huge thing. And so here's what it says. Here's a great question. Is your past still a stumbling block or has it become sacred? I mean, some of us live in our brains. I live in my brain. There's things that I go through on a daily basis that still flash me back to when I was a kid. Conversations I've had. Things I've done. And sometimes they get really, really 
bogged down in those moments. It feels like I'm, I'm climbing Mount Everest of my thoughts and my emotions and I can't get to the top. And many of us have been climbing that mountain of Ever- Mount Everest, which is our addiction, and we get to the point where that addiction literally is killing us. We've ran out of oxygen, we've ran out of all the things, and the mountain and the height deprivation and oxygen deprivation is literally starting to kill our bodies and the system is starting to shut down. Some of us have been there. Some of us have been in the hospital because of our use. Some of us have been in the mental hospital because of our use. Some of us have been in a very bad spot. Some of us have lost marriages because of our use or codependency. And it has become a huge stumbling block for you. Others that maybe have gone through the recovery process have actually been able to Keep those things sacred. And yes, those things happen, but they are memories. They're good reminders of what not to do in the future. Of how to change things in the ways to come. I think the next slide is steps. I actually reads the step, which is step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We are sick and we are dying and we need healing in our life. And scripture lays it out. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Do this by confessing and you will be healed. We want to be healed in our life yet we're stuck in our sin, in our transgression. And there's some of us in this room. We're confessed some of the small stuff but there's some other stuff I ain't going to say. I'm not going to share that. I can't share that. Well, if there's stuff in your life that you're still holding on to, there's part of your inventory you're not willing to share, chances are you're going to relapse if you haven't already. We want healing. We have to confess these things. So when people come to me and go, well, people already know about that. Do I really have to confess it? Yes. Yes, you do. Because if you want true healing, this is how you do it. This is what we do. Some of us balk at it. Alexander Smith says this, memory is man's greatest possession and nothing else is he so rich and in nothing else is he so poor. Whew. Our memory can be awesome and our memory can be devastating at times. Some of us are still having flashbacks of those times that were very painful for us, the abuse that we received, the abuse that we faced, the abuse we gave, the decisions we made, and the hurt and pain we caused others, or the hurt and pain that we received. Well, tonight we're talking about confess, and so the C for confess is this. Confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sin. Confess your shortcomings, resentments, and sin. This isn't about others, this is about you. This is about your stuff, the things that you've done. This is about your shortcomings, not your spouse's. This is about your resentments, not your spouse's or your mom or your dad's or your children's. This is about your sin. And we're going to confess those things. We're going to sit down and we're going to share with somebody this stuff. We're going to come clean 
We're going to share that. This is not a forced confession. You're not sitting there with the light shining down on you like in that movie. But this is a true confession. One that is admitting that we are wrong and we agree with God on the sin in our life. When there's times in my life that I've been confronted on my sin, my initial response is always to be evasive and defend and get out of it. I've gotten better. Now, I try to process those things and come back shorter and sooner and be able to admit to those things quicker. But this is the process that we go through. It's not a forced confession. When we go and we share something and we have a confession, it should be received hopefully well. And sometimes I know our confessions that we've shared and the other person wasn't ready to hear it. It's been used against us and it's caused us hurt and pain. But there is something powerful when we go through the right process and we have our sponsor and we've written our inventory and we sit down and we share everything that it will be received well. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, people who cover over their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. They will receive mercy. This says something different. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I like that one better. I like that version better because it's awesome. Um, so, so we hold on to. I mean, do you believe that? I know when I've concealed my sin, guess what? Sin will find me out. And it's held true in my life. There's stuff I've concealed and I've been found out. The O in confess is this. Obey God's direction. God has a plan and a direction and a way he wants to guide you. Are you willing to obey that? Or are you still stuck in holding to your own will and willing to do your own thing. But God wants you to follow after him. We have been like Jonah and we have had a direct commandment from God and we have chosen to turn and run the other way until the point where we've been swallowed by the fish or swallowed by the drugs or swallowed by the porn or swallowed by the food or swallowed by the sick relationships and we have ran and ran and ran and ran and God has said, when is enough enough? But when we obey God's direction and we return to him, we are much like the prodigal son who returns to his father. And what happens? The father welcomes him with open arms. Are we ready to obey God's direction for our life? Confession restores our relationship with Jesus. When we sit back and we confess, not only to somebody else and to ourselves, but to actual God, what happens is it restores our relationship with him. And we now are in great relationship and communion with him. How am I to obey Jesus if I have stuff that is blocking my relationship from him? Blocking that relationship, it, it doesn't go good. James 5.16, which is our uh, verse of the steps, is this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The in and con is this. 
No more guilt. When we confess, we get rid of that guilt. We shed that guilt. That guilt, that albatross on our shoulders falls off. See, teachers, I think I learned albatross like in seventh grade. I don't know what it is. I know it's a bird. Hangs on your shoulders. Get rid of that thing. Is it a bird? My wife's laughing at me. It's a bird, see? My wife was like, teachers, it does stick. May not always, but hey, it stuck with me. We have to get rid of that albatross. Because what happens is we sit in a place of shame. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? I know you weren't there, but maybe you've read the story. Maybe you've heard the story. But there's two guys hanging on a cross next to him, two criminals. And what are they doing? They mock him. They mock him. They throw phrases and words out to cause hurt and pain into Jesus' life. And then one of them realizes what he's doing. And he's all, whoa, maybe I shouldn't do this. And Jesus responds and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's this shame, this place of shame that we're at and we're willing to cause pain and hurt to others, and we have to get rid of that guilt and that shame. And what is the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt says this. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. I am a bad person. Scripture and truth of Scripture says that we're not. Scripture says that we are worthy. God makes us worthy Some of us have lived our life driving with a rearview mirror. I just did over 3,000 miles over the past couple weeks driving to Missouri and back. Some of you call it misery, but it's Missouri. That's the correct pronunciation. Went back to Missouri. My wife just gave me a look. Sorry. That's where my in-laws live. I love them. And as I, we were driving, it was just like... There was times I would have to look in the rearview mirror. Dad to make sure there was no cops behind me. But um, there was times I was going and I'm driving, and if I only drove by my rearview mirror, what would happen? I would get in an accident. I can't continue to drive like that, yet so many of us live like that. So many of us look into that little mirror, and we try to drive our day-to-day life by it. And what happens is we cause more hurt, more pain. We relive those things that we have already gone through, things we've already confessed, things we've already tried to go through, and we we can't. We have to stop rearview living. Romans 8, 1 says this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now let me say that again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your family member may condemn you. They may reject you. They may have disowned you. But God and your family here, we don't. There is no condemnation. You are not condemned any longer for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 3, verses 23 and 24 say this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God declares us not guilty... And if we trust in Jesus Christ, who freely takes away our sins. That he's the one that sets us free. God has that power. This is out of the Message Bible, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And this is what it says. There is no room in love for fear. 
Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. There is no room in love for fear. And God loves us. We love him. There should be no fear in our communicating and confessing our sin. And so as John Baker says in his book, and I always joke that I'm not going to say this, but I have to say, the con is over, so it's time to fess up. See, we just went through C-O-N. There you go. There we go. But, here's, but the reality is the lie is over now. I can stop living the lie, and now I can start to live in the truth. And this is what happens when we start to face the truth, is we start to face the truth right here. The F is face the truth. And that means that we live in honesty. Step one, we talked about the fact that this is an honest program. This is about living honestly, facing the truth. Not living in that lie anymore. Not live hidden. You guys all know this, I'm a movie guy, but it reminds me of a movie, Clint Eastwood, one of the best guys to do spaghetti westerns ever. Or westerns, depends. I don't want to offend anybody by saying the spaghetti westerns. But yes, the good, the bad, and the ugly. When we face our past, we have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we have to come to a realization that we have to accept it all. Acceptance is the solution to our problems. And we have to accept all those things. And we have to start to learn how to deal with them how to properly handle those things. I can't do anything to change the past. The only thing I can do is start to accept them and start to deal with them so that they don't happen in the future. I have to face the truth. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Jesus said to the people, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. It is a dark, dark world. I stayed away from Stockton this last weekend. I don't know if you guys did. I was a little freaked out because Friday I had a game up in Sacramento, so I had to drive through Stockton. And there was a few guys on motorcycles that rode by our vehicle. And I, oh, and I had a little quickening in my spirit, but then I was like, I'm a tough guy. I'm all right. And, um, but there was some big stuff that went on. There was a funeral up there, and everybody from everywhere came for that funeral of a very dark, dark world. And this place is dark, but God says there that in, with him, because he is the light of the world, that if we have him, he will shine his light, and he will guide us. I just sat in the altar room with a guy saying, hey, will you give me some advice, some thoughts on this? If you have Jesus... All you have to do is look for where his light is shining and follow after him. Connect with him. Do your spartsla. Follow after Jesus. And he will lead you. When we confess, it eases the pain of what's going on. It eases that pain. Because we're as only sick as our secrets. And some of us are pretty sick. And so we got to confess to get rid of these things. When I confess, I actually share this stuff that I divide the pain from the shame. I can actually accept the things that I've done in my past 
and no longer feel shame or guilt over them. I've done some pretty gnarly stuff in my life that I carried shame a long time with. But when I was able to confess those, I was able to remove that guilt and that shame and I no longer carry that with me anymore. Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5 says this, When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was very heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the sun, summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt was gone. It's one of the most comforting passages out of Psalms from King David that I can remember. Do you remember when King David, what was going on in his life when this was happening? Probably was looking over a fence and saw a gal, had an affair with that gal, killed her husband, had a baby, and the baby died. And this is probably what was going on in his life when, all, when he was writing this stuff out. He was ignoring it until his good buddy Nathan came in and said, Bro, what you doing, man? Called him out. Some of us need to be called out. The S in confess is this, is when we confess these things, we stop blaming others or we stop the blame game. Some of us love to play the blame game. Growing up, I, was, uh, I grew up about a half mile from here over off Clevenger on Felkirk Way, and it was an awesome street. We had a lot of awesome neighborhood moms, and this was back before video games were really uh, out. We actually had to go to an arcade to play. We couldn't play in our homes, well, except for Atari and Pong, boop, boop, like all that good stuff. But I remember going and playing in the neighborhood, and all the neighborhood kids would go over to this one house, the Scoves house. We loved the Scoves. Man, Sherry was awesome. She'd get us snacks, all that kind of good stuff. We'd always be playing wiffle ball or basketball or football or ditch, which is just a cooler name than tag, and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? But I remember if anything went on, They'd ask, hey, who did this, who did this? And they would always, she would always ask me, I'd be like, not me, not me, not me. And I had the nickname, not me. I was the not me kid. Because every time, that, hey, did, they, what, did you do this? Not me. And I would point somewhere. I didn't know who, but it, I was pointing somewhere. It would just get off of me. We have to stop the blame. But it wasn't only me. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and look what it, scripture says. Genesis chapter 3, it says this. <clears throat> the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then God talks to her, and the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Everybody loves to play that blame game. We love to point the finger at somebody else. Well, it wasn't my fault. God calls us to accept this, and when we actually confess to what we've done, we can stop blaming others. By accepting the responsibility for ourselves. Because we have been isolated long enough. 
When we hold on to these secrets, when we hold on to the sin in our life and we don't confess it, we are isolated and alone and we feel miserable. We have depression because the stuff ruminates in our head. And we got to be able to confess those things and get them out. When we confess, we begin to have intimacy in all our relationships because we're no longer trying to be deceiving others. I can actually be me. I can actually be Scott. I don't have to hide to be in a relationship with you. I can just be me. And that is a lot easier than having to try to figure out who the heck you want me to be and me try to be it. Because I did that. I was a good chameleon in high school. Matthew chapter 7 verse 3 says this. This is a great passage of scripture. It says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. God calls us to deal with our own stuff and then maybe perhaps we'll be able to see good enough to help our, our others out. Those of us that are in a relationship, whether it be with our children, whether it be with a friend, whether it be with a spouse, we have to deal with our own side of the street. Let them deal with their side of the street. Because when we start to deal with their side of the street, it gets really, really messy. We just have to deal with our side of the street. The last S is this, is that we, when we confess, we can start to accept. There's a missing word. Start accepting God. It should be start accepting God. It's a, uh, susceptible God. It's susceptible God. So it's awesome. But uh, you get to start accepting God. Start accepting what from God? We've already done that in steps two and three. Well, we get to accept the forgiveness and grace of God. We get to accept that forgiveness that we've been given. Some of us that are still struggling, still haven't even gotten to the point where we can accept and we can forgive ourselves, let alone think that there'd be a God that would ever forgive us for our stuff. But when we confess, we're able to start that journey of forgiving ourselves and accepting God's grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says this, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I had a lunch yesterday at... Um, a restaurant downtown with one of my best friends growing up. This is a dude that got me in a lot of trouble growing up. Um, we were best buddies. Um, I've got scars on my knees from rough housing at his house and had like nasty gashes across my knees from the riding our bikes on the gravel road. It was awesome. Um, he, was the, he was the guy that caused my first injury ever that made our kindergarten teacher pass out. It was awesome. He had a hall pass and he was swinging it around his finger. That was, it was kind of like the material of um, 
of like a clipboard and it like hit my head and caused a big gash. And I was like a towhead back then when I had hair. And it just started like blood. It was awesome. And so we go walking back into class and I'm like, hey. And she's all like, yeah. it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, but here's the thing is he asked me some questions. He goes, hey, there's some really weird stuff. And here's the thing. Why is my buddy coming to me? Does he know who I am? Like the stuff I've done, but he's coming to me to get wisdom. And so he just said, hey, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. God's given it to us. And that we would be able to share that with others. And so when we start the process of confessing our sin, we're able to start to see what that reconciliation looks like. First between us and God, and then we are able to model that between us and other people. And so when we confess our sins and we realize and we've made a list of our inventory and then our spouse comes to us with their amends, we're able to go, well, that pales in comparison to my gnarly list to God. I can forgive you. Even though it hurts, even though there's pain, I'm able to do that. So let me encourage you, start the process of going through the steps and confessing to God, to yourself, and to someone you trust. Let's stand and close our time with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, Enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Head off to group. We'll see you guys at dessert. If you're online, uh, what or who are you still blaming your issues on? And how can you move past them? And how can you accept God's forgiveness? <laughs>